Welcome to Break the Routine Podcast presented by ShepBridge and Seven. On our podcast, we'll talk with guests on various topics that range from professional development to personal growth. We want to share stories that many can relate to and that our audience can feel a sense of ease when they hear how others got to where they are. Please stay tuned to future episodes. All right, everybody, welcome back to the next episode of our Break the Routine podcast. This is Andres, the RVP, and I'm here very excited for our next guest. But before we get into him and what we're going to talk about today, I do want to go do some quick regional updates. First being our RLDC registration is now open. So if you haven't heard, we sent out a newsletter to all of our members. Um, if you haven't gotten that, please get to your chat with your chapter leaders. They should be up to date with what the process is. Our website is up live and you can now book your hotel and register for the event. Um, so I look forward for everyone to sign up and hopefully attend our event in April up in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, other than that, please keep following our social medias, our LinkedIn, Instagram, all that good stuff for any updates on our LDC and anything we got going on in the region. But leaving that to the side now, I do want to introduce our guest for this episode. He is a good friend of mine. We go way back now for six years now that I think about it, almost six years. Uh, he is our program director here at Shep Region 7. His name is Carlos Arboleda. Carlos, what's up? Hey, how's it going? It's Monday. It is Monday. Happy MLK Day. <laughs> At the time of recording, it's Martin Luther King Day. So, um, Carlos, just give us a brief intro to who you are, what you're about. What's up? Yeah. Um, so, hey, everyone. I am 25 years old, originally from Medellin, Colombia, but raised here in Orlando, Florida. So, oftentimes, it's the whole, am I really Colombian? Am I not? But for the sake of this conversation, let's say yes. Um, I graduated UCF with my bachelor's in industrial engineering, minor in sociology back in May, 2021. Uh, it was interesting because I did like 70% of my undergrad pre-COVID, like, like 30% uh, during COVID, right? Uh, Work-wise, experience-wise, I've interned five times, twice with Lockheed, once with Pratt & Whitney, once with Accenture, and once with Curology. And I decided to pivot my career full-time to Accenture, and I've been here ever since July 2021. Nice, nice. So for the sake of this episode, and obviously we're open to talk about whatever, I do want to talk about the transition between undergrad to professional. Now, I am fully aware that, you know, with COVID, certain things aren't as they used to be where, you know, obviously you get your offer and if it's in a different location, there's a whole process of, you know, literally picking up and going somewhere. Um, you fortunately are having that opportunity happen, hasn't happened just yet, you know, to take that move elsewhere. And that's on to your, to your own, you know, you're doing that on your own accord and we'll get into that in a little bit. But I want to go take it back to 2016, November. Seattle. Um, you're going to, I believe it was your first national conference for Shep, right? Yeah, first one. What was your thought pre-conference going up to that conference? Um, I just, I didn't know what, what the hell I was getting myself into, right? Um, it was, an, it was a, an interesting time because I, it was my second year of college. I didn't have the best start, right? Um, I went I did IB in high school, so I came into college a little bit too confident. So my freshman year, first semester GPA was a 2.6. Spent the next semester bringing them back up to a 3.2. And then had some falling out with 
some high school folks that I was close to at the time. And then 2016 was that I wanted a clean slate. And for me, I went to a shut meeting simply because I had some friends there. Um, they did a thing on the conference and two months later I was there. I had no idea what I was getting into. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I was having doubts about engineering that huh, lasted all of my career. Uh, but yeah, as far as conference goes, I just went for it. So when you got to that conference, what was the experience like? It was overwhelming to say the least. Um, I don't think conference ever got underwhelming. You just kind of got used to it. Um, but those first couple conferences, it was always just so much going on, right? It was new cities at the time. It was the first time I traveled alone. Um, a group of people that I had no idea who they were. Um, like I said, I joined Shep two months later. I was at a conference with 80 strangers. I was meeting people left and right, uh, rooming with people I didn't know. And it was good. You just, as overwhelming as it was, it was a really good bonding opportunity for everyone. You got to see people succeed. Um, obviously, you had those that didn't succeed. I was one of them for a long time. Um, but yeah, it was it was overwhelming in the best way, I guess is the best way to put it. Okay. So you mentioned earlier about being overly confident and thinking that you knew pretty much a good amount of stuff. Was there any a moment, whether it's at that first conference or when you first got with Shep or whatever moment where you realized you didn't know anything? Hmm. Um, to be honest, that's something that's never gone away. Right? I know it's a little bit cliche, but I don't know. I don't know if that's a feeling I'll ever let go of just because with life being life and all the curveballs that you get thrown, it's you realize that when you're on the top of the top of the mountain, you realize, oh, that's I really didn't know anything. Um, and that's something that I've seen a lot transitioning from undergrad to full time is that you think, you know, but the reality is you don't. So going back to your undergrad journey, um, we go way back, so we can give people a little bit of an insight. So at that conference, well, before that, we met at a meeting that I was presenting at, and you know, everyone who's people who know us kind of know that story. And I met you once again at the conference that you were, we were speaking about, and you came up to me looking for an opportunity, and you were the worst candidate possible. Just kidding, <laughs> but you obviously there was a lot to build on. You know, yeah. your first time out, you know, you needed a lot more. Uh, experience and a little more knowledge and stuff like that and through the years you know we've I've mentored you and we've talked and we've become friends and obviously you know you are where you're at now but when you were now going through that journey of you know thinking of engineering was right for you whether you were going to get anything or not where how close were you to literally quitting <laughs> which time <laughs> um no, I mean, being honest, there were multiple instances where I was I was ready to call it quits. Um, first instance, um, I changed majors three times. I went from aero to mechanical to industrial. I failed five or six classes throughout. Um, for example, for all you undergrad kids, I took Calc, three, calc 1 three times, Calc 2 twice, and Calc 3 once. So for me, that was almost a breaking point, right? Um, 
it another point was after my internship with Pratt, I was really considering going down the more HR path, right? And I was like, oh, is engineering really for me? Is should I have done something more in the realm of psychology or social sciences? Um, and mind you, I didn't kind of drop engineering because one, I was too far into it to quit, and two, I'd already had the minor in sociology, so I figured, okay, that was a nice compromise. Um, but yeah, even graduating, it was one of those things where it's I didn't want to do an engineering role. Um, and funny enough, for those of you that know, my graduation cap literally said study in engineering to not do engineering, just because I didn't want to go into that area. Um, so I know it's a little bit counterintuitive, you know, with the BS naive, but here we are. You learn. You live and you learn. Yeah. So, okay. So going through your engineering journey and, you know, working on your grades and, and trying to pass classes again, you did make a nice U-turn. And I think knowing you at that time, making that transition to industrial engineering was a big plus for you. And I think that's really where things started working out. hundred percent. hundred percent. Why do you think that is? And why was industrial engineering? Why did it fit? Um, I think that's when you really have to kind of accept that what you study really should be a reflection of who you are. For me, uh, mechanical and aero, they were interesting. They were cool, but they were overly technical. They were too in the weeds. It was too, too many numbers, too much math, too much whatever. Whereas industrial, it was that you got to deal with people, processes, you got to kind of look at the bigger picture and understand how everything kind of fits without needing to know every little detail about every little thing. Um, and at the time when I switched to industrial, I'd also really made some changes in my personal life as well. I was becoming more social, more outgoing. I was gaining a lot of confidence um, through my involvement in Shep, just personally. Um, and it all just kind of made sense, right? with industrial being that mix of business and engineering, that exposure to people, that exposure to understanding the business and the person versus the machine and the tool. So yeah, I guess that's for me, it's industrial was the thing that aligned with who I was at the time the most. So to go into to comparison, that very first time you went to that conference in Seattle as an aerospace at the time, I believe, to your first conference or event, career for whatever it was, where you actually went to go talk to a company as an industrial, having gained the confidence, feeling getting that you're getting into that place where you're, you're, you're where you belong in a sense. What was the differences there, if any? I guess the biggest difference was when I was giving my pitch, I wasn't lying to myself. Um, when I gave my pitch as aeromechanical, and I mean, you heard the spiels multiple times. It was, it was very forced, whereas in industrial, it, it was more genuine. Um, and as I've gotten older and gotten more involved in recruiting and stuff like that, it's, it's so easy to tell when someone's being genuine versus being forced. You think you're hiding it, but it comes off clear as day. So I think that was the biggest thing. Now, when you went to that company that you got your first internship with, um, what was that like? It was good. Um, so it was Cleveland, um, Cleveland 20, 
2018, right? Yeah, Cleveland was 2018. And I was going into this conference having a couple of months at Lockheed under my belt through the UCFC web program. So when I was going as an industrial, I was going with some experience. And at that point, you know, the first one really is the hardest one to get. And once you get that first experience, that first thing under your belt, then at that point, if you do it right, it should, things should kind of fall into place and things did fall into place. Um, I was able to secure a letter of intent, which was got from Pratt. And then I think collectively that fall, I got, I think it was like eight interviews, um, the one offer, but like eight interviews. And then fall 2019 after Pratt and Lockheed, I think I had like six or seven offers on the table. Um, yeah. So before we get into the, to the, wow, I want to, I'm going to put my perspective on this moment real quick. So I remember how much you were preparing and you were getting ready. You were feeling more confident. You can tell, all right, this guy's ready to go. And I remember you going to Cleveland and I'm there, I'm here this weekend at home, minding my own business. And I would get text messages. I'm like, I got this interview, man. I got this interview. And oh, I got my letter. And he'll text me the picture of the letter. And I'm like, I'm proud, obviously. That's great. And then fast forward to 2019, and he's getting all these offers. Um, and I was like, look, man, I got this. I got this. I'm like, all right, bro, you rock. I get you. I get you. But for me, it was like one of those 180 complete, you know, I remember how you would be stressing and how worried you were and how, like, you didn't know if this was a fit to going to, like, offers left and right feeling confident at times overly confident we had a few conversations about that but uh let me ask you now you know being open about it going from seattle to that 2019 767 offers whatever it was did you ever have a moment where you look back and you went wow look at all this yeah um i'll be honest i'm I'm a person that likes to look back a lot. Um, some people call it living in the past. Um, I call it kind of just reflect on what got you to where you are. Um, personally, I, my philosophy has always been your past is your past, but whatever it was, good or bad, it got you to where you are now. So um, I'd be lying to say if I didn't have help along the way. So I always like to look back and kind of appreciate the community and the the village that got me to where I am, right? Just because there's been hundreds of people that have contributed to where I'm at today. Um, and also it's hard not to look back, right? Having been so involved with Shep, having held so many leadership roles, it's, you have to look back to kind of see what worked, what didn't. So in all of that kind of administrative planning and processing or, what, or whatever you want to call it, you have no choice but to also reflect and kind of appreciate those past experiences. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think I, I agree with you. A lot of people think of it as living in the past, but at the same time, there's a difference between dwelling on the past, but then reflecting on it. You know, so I, I'm the same way. I, I like it to be able to be able to say, when I get to a certain point and I succeeded in something or whatever it is, I take a look back to say, wow, look what got me there. You know, because sometimes you don't know that this destination is going to be close or far to you, you know? And sometimes you forget to really to live in that moment. And sometimes looking back is always a good thing, in my opinion. Um, so 
2020 happened. Um, I'm proud to say that uh, I took some convincing that <laughs> you took, you decided to, you know, you've had some leadership experience in the past. You were heavily involved in SHIP when you were at UCF. But uh, I remember taking a little bit of convincing for you to end up becoming president. How important was it to you to give back? And why did you ultimately decide to become president? <laughs> um, feels like a loaded question. <laughs> um, so I guess the first part, the first question of why giving back, right? Um, I guess it goes back to that whole kind of reflecting, looking at it past, right? It's, it's appreciating how far you've come and accepting all that it took to get there. The amount of help, resources, people that you leaned on that were there for you. And it's being able to be that for someone else and giving back in that way. Um, I remember, I don't know if she remembers this, but the, it was 2017. Uh, I was going into Calquan for the third time and we were doing a board social. It was my first time on the board. Um, we were at Lake Yola in Orlando for Christmas, right? And we were doing a board. We, went, we got dinner and I was talking to Juniette Gonzalez. And I was telling her like, yeah, like I don't think this is for me, like whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like who takes Calquan three times? Shame, shame, shame. And she was like, no, like go for it. You have us to help you and whatever it is, just know that you tried. And I went for it. I had the help I needed. I had the support. And here we are. So why give back? Because had people not given back to me, then I wouldn't be here. Um, that's your second question. Unless you any other questions? No, I just want to know what got you um, to become president because you were very hesitant, my guy. No, I, it's... it's um, because let me say this real quick and I've told you this <clears throat> knowing you you enjoy giving back there's no question about it you can be stubborn about admitting to that at times um, because I remember whether it be the elections coming up and in time to present to people what positions you were going whether it was VP and all the other things that you did you were like I don't want to be this I don't want to be that I don't want to be president and I'd be like hmm like, I don't care that much. I don't care that much. Like, all right, come on. So again, why did you ultimately decide to be president? Um, I guess there were, I don't know. I guess there were a lot of things. Um, as Andres mentioned, I'm going to do a, a play on words, right? I can be full of ship when it comes to ship stuff. <laughs> um, so for context, I did the five leadership roles, including presidency. Um, so leading up to presidency, um, there was a moment where I did feel that burnout. At UCF, you call it getting shipped out. Um, and at a point, it was just kind of, I wanted to try something new. I wanted to kind of step away and just not let it consume me. Um, and to be honest, at the time I was convincing, trying to convince someone else to do <laughs> the presidency role. So, um, I, get, I guess why I did it, I just, it was the best way to get back, right? Um, 
it was the best way to kind of put my money where my mouth was. Because um, as Andres knows, as most people know, I'm very opinionated <laughs> when it came to Shep matters, especially at UCF. Um, and a couple of those opinionated efforts kind of got me in some deep, deep trouble. But um, no, it kind of came down to the, you have so much, so much of an opinion. You have so much of a plan, so much of a, so many ideas that unless you go for that top job, you're never going to get that opportunity to put what you think is going to work into place. Um, and a, a big part of it also came down to the team, uh, the team that I was kind of envisioning um, was going to play a huge, a few, a huge uh, impact. But at the time, that's also when I realized that um, plans don't necessarily work out in the way that you want them to. And that's also a learning experience, not just from a presidency, presidency perspective, but also from a, a team perspective. Um, so I know that was a really roundabout answer. I don't know if I answered it. You got it. You had a plan. You always came up with ideas. You're passionate about the group, whether you want to say opinionated or not. I kind of call it passionate. But uh, you felt it was an avenue to you for you to finally say, all right, let me see what I can do. You know, And obviously, like you've learned over the years, having the right team or the right individuals to be able to execute that and, and all that was really critical. And that was kind of the time. It all just, I think it all just kind of came to the right point to finally make that move. Would you agree? Yeah, and then I would also add that it's one of those things where if you're listening and this relates to you, then I've been there, what everyone kind of expects out of you, um, where it's kind of like, it's an afterthought, right? Where it's like, oh, it's going to be him. It's going to be like, he's going to get it. No no doubt about it. Um, and that's also a lot of pressure, right? Because it's like when you're expected to take on the mantle, because mind you, Shep, UCF grew and exploded exponentially over the years, right? Um, the chef that you knew when you were president is not what it was when I was going to be president. Um, my predecessor, Tomasi, got the memberships up, up to over 400. It was over 20 grand in sponsorships. That was a whole new kind of mantle to take on. Um, so when people, when it was that pressure, that expectation of, oh, I mean, it's going to be you. Like, that was also another... Yeah, but do I, do I want that pressure in my last year? Do I want that? Do I, uh, because um, I'll be honest, there were instances where I look back and had I wish I'd done things outside of Shep throughout my undergrad. Yeah, it would have been nice to explore other avenues, not saying dropping Shep, not at all, but also kind of dipping into other interests, other potential student groups um, have, has been a thought. Now, sticking to the theme of this episode, just transitions. And it's not just about transitioning from being an undergrad to professional. It's, it's sometimes dealing with things that come and having to transition into a new way of working. And the big example I have now going into your presidency, Shep, was COVID. Now, I am 100% guaranteed sure that when you went into this position, you had a whole different plan in your mindset, but then COVID happened. Now, COVID happened. When you realized this was going to be changing a lot of the things that you wanted to do, what was going through your head? 
Um, this this might sound a little dramatic, but um, when we all kind of realize how, I so everyone everyone has their COVID moment. Everyone had their moment when they realize that, oh, COVID, this is real. This is not just a two week thing. It's not a two month thing. This is legit. Like, okay, great. So. Uh, during elections, um, questions were coming up where it's like, oh, like, what's the plan? If things happen as this happens. Virtual conference, what are, we gonna, what are you gonna do? How are you gonna handle this virtually? Um, and then when I, when I ended up winning, um, I kind of pivoted from the plans and ideas that I had for the chapter. And I pivoted to just, crisis management, right? In the sense of, I needed to make sure that the chapter survived. Because again, nobody knew how long COVID would last. Um, hell, we're two years into it and we don't know how long it's gonna last. Um, we'd never done this virtually before. SHEP was a very culturally driven, socially driven organization. You know, how do we do that virtually? Um, and mind you, it wasn't just us, it was everywhere. So it was, how do we pivot virtually within a span of three, four months. Um, and yeah, it was just, my whole presidency, I'd, I'd say it was crisis management to make sure that it survived through it and would be able to kind of sustain itself moving forward. I remember, you know, having joked around and, and you know, told you that you want to be president and you finally deciding to do so. And then dealing with COVID, I remember, I remember kind of going, oops, maybe it wasn't the best time to push in that yeah. much. Um, for all you listeners, Andres has this thing where he believes that every president has their their thing, their their challenge, their obstacle, their it factor. Little did we know mine was COVID. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember apologizing. I'm so sorry. Man. <laughs> Normally but, it's some drama, normally it's some whatever. Yeah, no, yeah. It's just COVID. It's COVID. <laughs> but I, I do want to say, and I'm not just saying this because I know you, because obviously being outside and, you know, you would, you would call, call me and we would talk about some of the stuff you're going through and, and being part of some of the events you guys did virtually. I think you guys did amazing. You know, I know it wasn't easy. I know it wasn't hard. I know you guys had your, you know, your obstacles to overcome. But to be honest with you, now being at the regional vice president, position and when we came into this role this last year trying to assess how all the chapters were doing you know understanding what was going on i mean ucf you guys were on the top of that list i mean there's no question about it and i'm not trying to be biased and anything like that you guys figured out how to do it and i, I think a lot had to do with not only the team you had but you as well as the leader so well, i mean you, my guy. full full merit to my team my e-board and board of directors right i couldn't have done it without them um but again, we we kicked ass. There's no, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. I'm not gonna hide from it. We did a really good job. We did what we could. Um, could we have done more? Yeah. Um, but comparatively, I think out of a lot of other schools, I think out of Florida, at least, I know UCF, UF, and we did what we could. Um, yeah, and then, then not a lot of people can say that. I can tell you that. Honestly, like from the numbers, yeah. not a lot of people were able to do that. And you guys, one last, one last brag for you guys is 
you know, when, when we look at, you know, we train new chapter leaders and we show them, you know, prior reports and the things that you guys have to do as chapters, um, you guys, what you guys did that year is a model it's being used. So, you know, let that, let that sink in a little bit. You, know, you guys are, you guys set the president. So kudos. Um, with that being said, now you finish your presidency, your last semester, I believe or so was like, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm not going to stress about chef too much. I'm just going to cruise and focus on getting my full-time offers. You had a few come up. You were weighing options. I mean, I we, had, we had several conversations about why, why not? Yes. Why did you ultimately decide on Accenture? Yeah. Um, so for context, um, I had three full-time offers on the table. I had Accenture, Microsoft Federal as a customer success account manager. And then I had Intel and their sales and marketing rotational program. Um, all three were fantastic offers in their own way. Obviously, some were a little bit more competitive than others, but ultimately, I, I'm trying not to say the wrong thing. Um, <laughs> um, so I guess, um, yeah, so I interned with Accenture over the summer, and it was just a really great experience, albeit it was virtual, but even then I was able to really see a side of industry that I'd never seen before. Um, I had come from defense and aerospace and they have a certain way of operating as I'm sure you know, clearly. Mm -hmm. um, and essentially it was completely different. It was people first, it was fun, it was energizing. It was, it was just a really great, one uh, 360 I would say um so I, I'd had that experience on my, under my belt I'd kind of seen the company the culture seen how they operated virtually just because again COVID who knew how long would he be here to stay Microsoft Federal um great opportunity um a fantastic company but for me it was federal and I wasn't wanting to go into federal work I'd done my fair share of defense and saw that it wasn't for me um and it was just one of those moments where I, if i'm going to work somewhere full-time i want to work somewhere that aligns with my values my interests and federal government wasn't for me um this might come back to bite me in the butt but there i said it um and then intel right again great company amazing program um I think it was, it was a program where they only select eight people per year or like per cohort. And it came down to, am I passionate about what Intel does? And would I be able to um, kind of put all of myself into making the product that Intel creates? And I was, I can't, I, was, I would say no. Um, so that's as far as that. And then location was also a big factor, right? All were great locations. Microsoft was outside of DC. Intel was in Santa Clara, California. And Accenture was Seattle. Um, I know I told you, Tondres, and people that know me, it's, I've always wanted to go back to Seattle. 
um, for me, it was just something about it. Um, I just kind of fell in love with it and it just made sense. So let me ask you this, and this may be a personal question. I mean, they're all person, pretty much personal. But <laughs> <laughs> when you accepted Accenture, yeah. was there any moment of, like, I hope I made the right choice? Of course. Um, I'd be willing to say if the thought doesn't kind of come up every once in a while. Right? I think it's it's a thought that happens with every major decision in everyone's life is, did I make the right choice? Did I meet the right person? Did I settle down in the right way? Did I take the right offer? Did I take the right role, right? It's one of those things where um, when you're jumping into something so new and such a big change from undergrad into professional life, it's, did I make the right choice? Did I settle down in the right area, the right place, what have you? Um, but as much as that thought kind of creeps in here or there, I counter it with the fact that I'm happy, I'm learning, and I've had a really good experience so far. Um, and I've been able to see what, I guess I've been able to see that I didn't make the wrong choice. Um, I mean, you're right. I mean, you literally hit the right point is any decision you make, there's always going to be either a big or small moment where you kind of go, did I do the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? But you have to have faith that the reasons why you chose that reason to make that choice are, event are ultimately, you know, being validated. And if you say it to yourself, you're learning, you're happy, you're getting all the things that you wanted in a sense, despite, you know, obviously, and I tell this to every person, not every single day of your work, is going to be the best day of your life. There are going to be days where you just don't want to work. Well, something's happening. You're just like, ah, but at the end of the day, if you're content and you are learning, and cool you pretty much made the right choice and it's like it's one of those things too it's corporate loyalty isn't what it used to be um so at the end of the day it's if you're somewhere and you're not happy do your time do your year whatever it is and then find some place that works for you it's you're not signing your soul you're not signing a contract till the end of time it's if you're not happy then do something about it mm-hmm yeah, if you're doing something, you know, and you may be stuck in it for a little bit, you realize, all right, what can I do? You make the best out of it. You either take an opportunity, whether it's to you know, go back to school, learn, you know, make the most of that and plan what the next step can be. So everything you do leads to that next step, um, which is literally where I'm at right now. And we can get into it later. But um, now to get a little bit more personal with you. With every a lot of people who and I know a lot of people who've gone through the situation, you know, they've got an opportunity, they anticipated to leave right away to a new location. Um, due to COVID or whatever reasons, unfortunately, that doesn't happen either at all, or it's taking a little bit of time for it to actually happen. You, my friend, have decided the next time frame, and I won't get into more details unless you want me to, fairly soon, hopefully, to actually, you know, even though you're working virtually or remote. You're actually going to make that move for yourself more than anything. Why? Um, I'm trying to get my thoughts together. Um, yeah, so again, with COVID being COVID, um, there's really no direction as far as when we have to make that move from a 
corporate perspective. Um, so my move is very personal. Um, like I mentioned at the beginning, I'm 25 years old. Um, I've been in Orlando 23 years. I grew up here, um, but I think it's time for that new chapter. Um, everyone always says you picked the farthest possible point from your home. And I was like, yeah, I just wanted somewhere where I could literally start fresh and start a new chapter. Uh, I wanted somewhere that one had seasons, had a different culture, uh, you know, me, me being like LGBT, uh, I wanted somewhere where I could kind of be myself more so than I could be here in Florida. Um, and I just wanted a place where I could figure out who I am and who I want to be without the pressure of family, the pressure of expectations, the pressure of the community that I still have here in Orlando. Mind you, I love that community. I love my friends, my family, but you also need that space for you, if that makes sense. So that ended up being 3,000 miles away. Yeah, because I think for a lot of people, not everyone thinks this way. I think sometimes you need to take a step away to really discover certain things about yourself so that if you decide to come back, and honestly, a lot of people do, a lot of people don't, you can feel like you've accomplished something. And then I'll go a little bit into myself. Like one of the reasons I took an internship in, in California, not only because it was one of the few options I had, but I took advantage of going out there, even though it was not 100% guarantee how it was going to go. I didn't have any relocation. It was all coming out of my own pocket. I wanted to take that time to step away from Florida because that's all I had known up to that point. And I've, I've grown up other places, but Florida had been my home for a long stretch of time. Going to California, taking the weekends to just drive somewhere, whether it was, now I was based in LA, so I was either going to San Diego or I'd go to San Francisco, wherever. Um, just to have time to myself. And I, I barely saw anyone, you know, barely hung out with any people. It was just my time. And I can honestly say a lot of the things that I'm, I am now who I am today has had to do with taking those opportunities to step away and go to these new places. So when you told me that you were wanting to do that and you wanted to kind of, even though you, like, like you said, the company, there's no real direction or clear vision when those transitions are going to happen. But personally, you know, you want to make that move for yourself which I 100% support because I think that is a very important thing for a lot of us to do that some people may not feel ready for. Um, but let me ask you real quick, you know, obviously making that move when it happens, there's going to be a level of excitement. And obviously you have enough, you have a good mentality of what you want that experience to be. When it comes to fear, how are you gauging that? I'm terrified. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it, it scares me. Um, it scares me from a personal perspective, from a being lonely perspective, right? Because you're leaving everything behind. It scares me from a financial perspective. It scares me in every way that any individual I would hope would be scared making such a huge and drastic change. Um, but that's, that's what makes it fun, right? Because if it didn't scare you, then what's the point? Um, you know, and, I guess COVID has taught me it's things are going to happen the way they happen good or bad. It's going to happen. So scared or not ready or not here I come. Um, 
but I also really believe that you grow a lot through fear. Um, when you're scared to do something and you do it, you're proving your, to yourself that you could do it, that it's possible that it wasn't necessarily worth being that scared for. Um, and there's been a lot of instances where that's been the case. Um, so I just treat the move as another one of those instances. Um, yeah, you're right. I, I think I saw a quote this morning. I can't remember the top of my head. It was something along the lines of, if you think that everything's an easy road, then you're lying to yourself where you have to be uncomfortable to get to progress, something along the lines where you sometimes have to go through fear. You have to kind of make those jumps when you're not hundred percent sure um, to see what happened. And, and I think for me personally, you know, it's, it'd be a hundred percent amazing to feel a hundred percent ready to make a move. Um, but a majority of the time, you're not going to be hundred percent ready. You just sometimes have to have a leap of faith and do it. Um, you can feel that you can feel that energy of like, I'm ready for the move, but there's always going to be something telling you, is this the right move? Kind of how we referenced it a little bit earlier. Um, yeah. Now for you, and this is obviously going into transitions, you mentioned that you want to be happier. You want to change things. You want, the, you know, the culture is going to be a little bit different but when it comes to work-life balance. And you and I have talked about this. And for those who don't know, Carlos and I have been working really hard on developing a great agenda for all DC. So again, a reminder, if you want to register, feel free to do so. Um, but we've really crafted an agenda really based not just on how to find a job, but everything that comes within and beyond that. Now, when it comes to work-life balance for you, going to a new place, starting a new, your job, actually going to be able to maybe go to the office if that's a, if that becomes a, a thing, you know, how important is that work-life balance going to be for you? Um, I'm going to kind of put everyone in the same bucket where I think work-life balance should be the biggest priority for everyone. Um, just because again, we, um, I guess the beauty of modern day technology and opportunity is that you get to see how the rest of the world operates. You see how people make it work working four days a week, how people make it work working 30 hours a week, how people are willing to put work aside when end of day hits and go on and live their lives, right? I think here in the US, we all live in this live to work mentality. Um, and it's something that I'm trying to kind of get myself out of. So yeah, when I move, work-life balance is going to be a huge priority. Um, and that's part of figuring myself out. Because again, if, if my whole life ends up just being work, then what am I discovering about myself? That I'm a workaholic? Okay, <laughs> great. Um, but there are so many other things that I'd rather be. Um, and I think a big part of that is going to be learning how to set boundaries not just with myself, but my team, my management as well. Because um, again, like working remote right now, it's I'm working West Coast hours. So it's a little bit weird where it's, my day starts 10, 10, 30 a.m. and 5 to 7 p.m. at night. And it's kind of that weird, I'm either productive in the mornings or I'm not, or I'm either productive at night or I'm not. So right now, work-life balance has been pretty tough for me, not just be, not to blame the hours but it's just more so me not being able to figure it out but yeah once I make that move I'm on the west coast so there's no excuse right so I think at that point work-life balance is going to be priority number one 
Yeah, and I think also when you're already anticipating that move, and even though you in your mind you're like, I need to have some sort of structure now, it's hard to really want to finalize that knowing that's going to change once you make that that transition. You know, um, now you and I recently have been talking more about things that we've never talked about, which is things like hobbies, things like things you do outside of work, and going back into the work-life balance thing. You're 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 now trying to figure that out, and I think a lot of people are realizing that. Uh, for example, the last episode we had of our last guest, we were talking about some of the hobbies she was doing and how she just discovered that whether because of COVID or realizing that, again, you said the exact thing, same thing she said, is setting those boundaries with work and knowing that, you know, work is work. But when you're done with work, you want to be able to do other things. You don't want to just be living about thinking about work all the time. I have my hobbies. Other people have their hobbies. You're figuring out those hobbies. Mm-hmm. Um are there any, is there anything, and let, you know, let's have a little fun with this topic. Is there anything that you're, you're, you're curious about trying out? Just anything. Um, I got a lot to get back into music. Um, so I did music in middle school and high school. Um, so I was a huge part of my youth, is I guess the best way to put it. Um, so getting back into music, I really want to get back into reading. Um, I kind of lost that through undergrad and through kind of work it's again I always use the excuse of I don't have time I'm busy and I just miss kind of picking up a book um I I've seen a couple TikToks right where it's um the whole candle making process looks pretty cool so maybe like I don't know dabbling into making a candle or making something maybe like wood shop I don't know just something where it's you have a creative outlet to something that isn't PowerPoint or something <laughs> like that. Um, but yeah, I definitely want to get more into outdoorsy stuff as well because it's, who knows when things are going to happen. Um, so might as well enjoy the beauty of the outside while you still can. So I definitely want to get more involved into like the hiking and like the snow sports, stuff like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. No, I mean, I'm, I, I'm very open to like whatever. <laughs> you're happens. ready. You're ready. You're ready to find that out. Yeah. The reason I asked that is because it's a curious thing that's been happening recently. And I talked to people um, where for me, it was a no brainer because I always had hobbies. So it was always easy to kind of take a break from either studying. And obviously I, we get it when you're an undergrad and you're, you're, you know, especially if you're involved with things like Shep, that time, there is no time for yourself. And you're lucky. And I don't know how I maintain a relationship when I was president. That's one thing I still give myself credit for where like, you know, being able to balance all these things, it's, it's hard and you, don't, you lose sight on your hobbies. It's not until I started working that I was able to go back into my hobbies. But I always had them. There's a lot of people who never really had a hobby and they're just trying to figure that out. Yeah, so Green, I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I'm trying to put a bio on a dating app, it's like, what are my hobbies? I work and I do shop. <laughs> those are my yeah. So it's like, those have been kind of reality checks where it's like, what are my hobbies? I don't. I don't know. I don't know what that side of me is anymore. Yeah. And then the reason I want to ask you that, and the reason I'm, I'm thank you for being open to, to talking about that is if there's anything I can stress to anybody when they listen to this is find that, find out that hobby, you know, you don't have to make it a priority of night now if that's not a priority, but you know, develop yourself as an individual in terms of what you can do outside of work. You know, sometimes, Hey, and if you're a hundred percent into work power to you, like go for it, <laughs> whatever. But, uh, 
it's nice to be balanced. It's nice to have a well-rounded, um, you know, set of skills that don't have anything to do with your career. You know, I can cook, I can, I can do music, I can do all these things, but even though and I do them because I want to, not because I feel like I have to, you know, type of thing. Um, but that's just me, obviously. So to wrap things up a little bit, because uh, we're coming down to the wire. So for you as an individual, you're about what? You graduated in summer of 2021. You're May coming 2021. up May 2021. You're coming up to a year now out of out of school. Yes. What is next, man? Besides the transition, besides moving out there, you know, what is it that you see yourself? And I'm not doing the typical stupid five and you know, five year plan. <laughs> but you as an individual, where do you want to be? Where do I want to be? Um I guess for me, it's, it's a little, I don't know, for me, it's always been hard answering that question just because I don't know who I want to be. Um, I always, I always kind of get into like existential mode with that question because it's who am I, where am I going, what I want to be, what I want to do. And I don't know. Um, I can say that I'd like to be happy. I'd like to be healthy. I'd like to be in a place where I've traveled. I've seen the places I want to see. Um, but I also want to say that I want to be in a place where I've made the right choice in the people that I, that I have as part of my life. And I do want to kind of emphasize that and kind of going back to the kind of backtrack a little bit, um, as you figure yourself out, your hobbies, your interests, whatever they are, also take a moment to really look at your friendships and your relationships and figure that out as well um just because as you get older the people that you stay in touch with and the people that you maintain in your life unfortunately get smaller and smaller so as that circle gets smaller make sure it's the right people um and not just people that um you grew up with for the sake of growing up with if that makes sense um make sure that people bring value to you, whether it's experience, advice, growth, support, stability, whatever it is. Um, figuring out your group is also a part of figuring out who you are. Um, and that's something that I'm going through. Um, and I think you should be continuously going through. But yeah, where do I want to be? I don't know, I guess, uh, sorry, it's been a, re it's a really roundabout answer. There's just so many, so many answers. Uh, all right, okay, I guess I'll go back to safe, stable, healthy. Um, but I also wanna be scared in the sense that having a little bit of fear, you know that whatever it is you're doing, it's you're doing it right. Because if I'm not scared, then I'm not in a place where I want to be. I like that. I like that. <laughs> the thing, the thing is, too, man, is it, I know it was a very broad question, to be honest with you. And, and the reason I asked is because you know, people want to say that they want to be here, working here, or doing this and that. But sometimes it's okay just to be in a state, you know, whether it's stable, happy, confident, fearful, whatever it may be. 
it's okay to plan to be in a certain place mentally and all that kind of stuff, which I think we tend to overlook is the mental aspect of a lot of things. And I want to, I would definitely want to support what you said as well about the group of people you keep around because you're right. The older you do get, that circle does become smaller and smaller. And when I say that, it's more like that close, intimate people, individuals that you rely on and whether it's to keep you grounded, to, you know, celebrate you in your successes, to lift you up in your failures, all those things, you be, they become critical to who you are. Um, and I can 100%, you know, validate and, and vouch for that. So I got, do you want to have, have a doctor friend, have a lawyer friend, have an accountant friend, have a, an HR friend, have people who don't do what you do? Because that's something I'm realizing now. It's all my friends are engineers. All my friends are techie people. Uh, so whatever you do, make those moves or you get into new jobs is expand your group into areas where you have no experience in. Mm-hmm. because that's gonna that's gonna matter when you have that that quote-unquote problem and you don't have you don't know who to reach out to and same and also like people that can challenge you respectfully you know not you, people maybe have able to have debates with that, that can don't turn into like some argument where you can actually say well i see things this way versus how you see things but we can come to a common understanding like all right we both have different perspectives but we can be able to learn why other people's perspectives are what they are type of thing you know, I, I like I like having people like you, and I've reached out to you with a lot of things about like you know who are able to call you out. You know, be like, listen, man, you're not kind of doing this the right way, type of thing. You know, because it's nice to be checked once in a while, um, respectfully, obviously. <laughs> um, so, with that being said, as we wrap things up, man, uh, I know you gave the people listening some good advice and some good insights. But is there any last minute things you want to tell people as they're off? Whether it's it even doesn't have to be through transitioning, just anything in general yeah. from your experience. Um. Uh, I guess one thing I could say is um, I know everyone has a lot going on. I know life has happened for everyone. Uh, There's been a lot of kind of social changes, a lot of political changes, a lot of just change in general the last couple of years and decades, I I suppose. Um, But I guess the biggest thing is always remember to put yourself in someone else's shoes and try to relate and understand where they're coming from. Um, Because as a friend, if you're trying to be there for someone, if you're trying to support, your opinion is your own. But if you can't relate to the person who put yourself in their shoes, then your opinion might not be the best opinion. So whether it's work, personal, whatever it is, do what you can to relate to others because at that point you'll be able to help more than if you didn't. Amen. Um, <laughs> that's good. So, so thank you, man. I really do appreciate you coming on. You're always very supportive. And obviously not only because you're obviously part of the regional team, but you know, you're a friend, you're, you're a guy who's been through stuff in a good way and you've, you've progressed so much. And I, I've always told you this individually, you know, I'm proud of you and all the stuff you're doing. So just keep it up. Obviously, um but with that being said everybody that's the episode for today so if you have any comments on our episode please let us know through spotify apple the stuff that we're, we're streaming on again a reminder region 7 rldc registration has opened so you can book your hotel through the website the website is all over our social media um but yeah once again thank you man appreciate you as always um and until next time everybody catch you later